0: Welcome to Unchained TV, featuring best-selling author, TV journalist, and the founder of the Unchained TV free streaming network, Jane Velez Mitchell. You're about to hear a secret solution to the problems that plague our world. If you want to revolutionize your health, get truly joyful, and jump to the next phase of human evolution, all it takes is one simple choice. Now, here's your host, Jane Velez Mitchell. Hello,
1: people! I am so excited to have with me today two of my heroes, Hope Bohannock and Robert Grillo. These are the folks doing the hard work on the ground to wake up the world to huh, the humane hoax. Our planet is being destroyed by animal agriculture. We are barreling toward a climate apocalypse. And yet, the powers that be meet Dairy, Big Pharma, they won't let the real story come out. Instead, what consumers get is a humane hoax, a story about happy animals frolicking in fields. No, the vast majority of the 80 billion animals killed for food every year never touch grass. They don't see the sky except maybe on the ride to the slaughterhouse. Straight out to Hope Bohannock, the editor of this fabulous new book, The Humane Hoax, Tell us, Hope,
2: what is the bottom line
1: message of this book?
2: Well, we really wanted to define The Humane Hoax, and you did a wonderful job of uh, introducing it there. And this is a collaborative effort, uh, an anthology with many voices, 18 chapters, 18 different voices coming from many different angles and we wanted to define the humane hoax. So, a quick definition it's that new labeling and marketing of animal products that we're seeing now that really conveys a, a false sense of some kind of improvement in the industry, either ethically or environmentally. Humane washing, greenwashing, that's the humane hoax. And the greenwashing can be labels, language, websites all those stories that they're telling consumers trying to uh, ease their concerns, and those concerns are real. Uh, And then there's also greenwashing. That's a part of the humane hoax. Greenwashing is the environmental aspect where we're seeing labels like sustainable and seeing uh, 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 regenerative grazing and and grass-fed, all these things that once again are trying to kind of Ease consumer concerns about the environmental, the detrimental environmental impact of animal agriculture. And the last part of the main hoax is the backyard farming kind of do-it-yourself ethos where people are, often it's raising chickens for eggs, but sometimes uh, raising animals for their flesh, for slaughtering them in small small farms, backyards, the, the DIY egg and slaughter, egg and meat uh Thing. And that is, you know, I think people go in with good intentions, they don't want to be part of the big industrial system. I understand that. But I think they don't realize the complexities uh, that are involved in caring for animals. Uh, if you're going to buy chicks at a hatchery or at the, the, the um, feed store, they're coming from the hatcheries, right, the industrial hatcheries. And if you're buying six chicks that are hens, where are the roosters? Where are their brothers? There's six roosters that suffered, that died, that were killed, were uh, abandoned, uh, that, that, are, that their stories never told. So, so there's a lot of aspects to it, and we get into it in this, in this book uh, in numerous different chapters and from a variety of angles, and I'm just so excited to bring it to the world.
1: Uh, It's a must read book. If you are already vegan and an activist, this gives you the arguments you need, um, especially right now, as we are discussing the Farm Bill renewal, which comes up in October and will really determine how much money the U.S. government gives to support this hideously cruel, environmentally catastrophic system Or will they start diverting the billions of dollars in subsidies to healthy fruits, vegetables, nuts, grains, and legumes that humans actually eat? Now, we're not going to go into any private companies today. Um, That's something uh, we'll leave aside. We're talking about these issues uh, in general. Robert Grillo, you've written one of the chapters. You are the uh, head of Free From Harm, which is an incredible organization um, in Uh, Chicago that has done so much what was the message of your chapter
3: well you know it was kind of serendipitous the way these uh, things came together Um, the timing of the release of the book and the the public the release of the film that I'm critiquing in my chapter came out around the same time within a matter of a couple of months The film is called Sacred Cow, and everyone should see the film because it's the latest kind of food ink narrative whereby the uh, filmmaker, uh, Diana Rogers, makes a case for what she calls better meat. And so um, I dissect all of the different talking points that is uh, part of the narrative of better meat. And I specifically look at this documentary, uh, Sacred Cow, um, because it's the latest um, big splash from, from the movement. Diana Rogers, by the way, has become a major uh, okay. leading animal meat advocate. Um, Let me
1: just say this, OK? We invite Diana Rogers on anytime, time, um, and we invite anybody in the meat and dairy industry or animal agriculture industry any time to comment. What we're talking about today is this this book, and I want to focus on the book uh, as opposed to going after any individuals in that sense. Let's talk about these philosophies because it's happening all over the world, okay? So uh, let's discuss what the philosophical problem is that we've got to solve in order to save this planet.
3: Robert. So we need to speak truth to power. We need to use these incredible stories and chapters from this book and not just uh, speak to other individuals but we need to speak power like all other social movements do so that the people that are really calling the shots in our food industry you mentioned the farm bill we certainly have a lot of power players and lobbyists there that need to hear this message because um, it's really something that the the whole kind of intention behind the humane hopes is to intercept the vegan narrative and say, hey, you don't have to go vegan. There's another ethical solution. And we, we need to, we need to be able to um, have the, a way to address this with people in power to make sure that our position, our argument stands uh, true and strong. Otherwise, this humane watching and greenwashing that that hope is is, uh, you know, championing, that hope is trying to expose could take over our narrative. So we need to speak truth to power.
1: One of the things that I've noticed lately is that with the rise of alternative proteins and um, the Beyond Meat Burgers and the Impossible Burgers, there's been a hit campaign um, by mainstream media, numerous articles that try to attack these foods as highly processed and unhealthy. The very same commentators never mention that the World Health Organization has declared that processed meat is officially cancer causing, unlike these other products that are plant-based. And um, they jump on this concept of processed. Well, if you put a mango and a banana in a Cuisinart, it's processed. That doesn't mean the mango and the banana immediately become unhealthy. that's the kind of narrative. And in my opinion, it's almost a backward compliment because it seems to be saying we're posing a threat. We are in the vegan movement are now posing a threat to the powers that be and animal agriculture. So anytime they come after, um, a particular plant-based company or the plant-based movement in general, um, I think that that is almost a contrarian indicator, like a sign that uh, somehow we're moving forward. What are your thoughts on that, Hope?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with you that this, you know, this is all – the humane hoax really is a reaction by the industry to our success. You know, for I've been doing this work for many years. I've been actually uh, researching about the humane hoax and humane washing, humane myth – for about 20 years now, doing animal advocacy for 30 years. And back in like the 90s, the 2000s, you didn't see any of these humane labels. Uh, You'd see labels like maybe fresh or young, but these new labels are because activists, vegans, uh, people like you, Jane, and your wonderful show Issues with Jane Velez Mitchell, they brought attention to uh people people in their living rooms that something is not right with animal farming right in the animal farming sector and the clever marketers are now responding with these labels i mean this is a a progression a a a really a reflection of our success and the marketers are now trying to you know appease and reassure consumers that things are improving and so we're seeing these labels like cage free free range uh certified humane and, and I really recognize that this is probably going to continue, potentially be a problem for our movement, for our goal of ending farmed animal suffering, that these labels could possibly lull people to, into believing that there's a kind way to commodify animals, right? And so this, this really has gotten some traction and movement. We have started the uh, Humane Hoax Project. Alistair Van Cleek of the Microsanctuary Movement and I started the Humane Hoax, Hoax Humane Hoax Project, to get the message out there, and, you know, I decided to start collecting these essays to really amplify this issue in the movement, and, uh, you know, it, it's, it's got some amazing contributors. There's 18 contributing authors to this book that I edited, uh, such a collaborative effort. There's amazing voices, uh, authors, activists, academics, rescuers, sanctuary workers, uh, along with Robert Grillo, Carol Adams wrote a chapter, Silas Rao, uh, Christopher Sol Eubanks, John Sanbanmatsu, Karen Davis. Uh, so it's it's really a fantastic book. I would love to thank Lantern Publishing and Media uh, for for their, you know, their support and believing in the project and publishing the book. Uh, and, I, and I think it's so important. Books, I really feel books have a great deal of power because we are in this kind of you know, TikTok culture of just short, quick social media, uh, you know, fast, fast, fast information coming and going. And a book is a way to really embody the issue, to really connect deeply with a subject and get a a true feeling for a subject. So uh, I I really uh, am so excited to bring this book to the world.
1: Yes. And um, I am very excited to read The Humane Hoax, In the intro to this video, whether it's on the streaming network Unchained TV or on any of the socials, there is a link where you can purchase this book with one click. I urge everyone to get it. All right, we've got a caller on hold, Michelle in Los Angeles. Your question or thought.
4: Hi, thank you for having me. Um, I think the idea of this book is well needed and amazing. I have so many friends and family members that come to me and tell me, well, we're eating humanely and, um, it's a really, it's a healthier type of meat because they're, uh, they graze and they're free. And I'm just like, it's so hard to counter that because you like that they're eating plant-based occasionally, but they just don't get it. Like, what would I, what, what's some good advice to give them or are there points in the book that I can bring up and, and tell them?
2: Hope. Yeah. I, it's uh, it's absolutely I hear this from activists and vegans all the time that, you know, because we've got we've got the factory farming talk down. We 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 know what to talk about with with the industrial farming and the big scale. And what happens is people will come back with, Oh, but but my eggs are cage free, but you know, I, I get my meat at the farmers market or whatever. And, and that, and that's where we get a little tripped up, like, well, okay. Uh, And, and I think here, that's where we need to educate ourselves, right? We have to educate ourselves about these, these labels, this new narrative that's being spun, this new uh, story that's being told by the industry, that there's improvements across the board when really there's not. I mean, if you look at the industry as a whole, things are just getting worse for animals, although you'd never know that from the stories, the labels, the websites, right? So it's definitely something that we need to educate on. And yes, this book actually has some great uh, stories. I think stories are so important. You know, storytelling is so important. Uh, We can talk about statistics and facts, and there's a lot of that in the book, too. Peer-reviewed research that shows that, you know, that, that... Pasture based uh, uh, farming of pigs is actually ecologically worse, things like that. So, there's a lot of great studies in the book. But, storytelling, I think, is so important as well. And, you know, I actually uh, started this book with two chapters that tell amazing stories about a pig named Silver in the first chapter and a little chicken named Bebe in the second chapter. And they are actual victims of the humane hoax from small scale, uh, you know a, a family pig farm uh, was silver was from and and so these are stories that you know that that can move people. and I, I, I knew it was a risk kind of going right up front with some sad, poignant stories to put right at the beginning of the book. but you know the book it's not about labels, it's not about marketing. It's about the animals, real animals that are suffering. Because of these labels, because of the humane hoax, and I wanted to establish that right away, and I think that that can really help people to to tell their stories, to tell these animal stories, uh, you know, to people when they when they're and and the other thing I'll say about that too is when someone does say, um, yeah, well, I I'm, I'm I'm doing my part. I get my you know eggs humanely or whatever. I think we have to react positively to that and say thank you thank you for caring that's so great that you care enough to pay more for these products let me tell you the truth about these products you know that that i think that's an easy way a good way to to segue in because they do care i mean that's something that we are uh, blessed to have in our movement is that people do care they, they are compassionate I believe that people are truly compassionate at their core and they want to help, they want to do the right thing. And so we just have to educate them about what that is.
1: Yes. And, you know, as Dr. Silas Rao, who writes a chapter of this book, says we're all being factory farmed. It's Mm -hmm. the animals being exploited, but the people are being exploited. They're being lied to. Okay. You know what I say to that? You can fool some of the people some of the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time. It's still coming out. And uh, we've got another caller, uh, Lindsay and Tarzana. Your question or thought?
4: Yes, it's interesting because you brought up TikTok. And I was on TikTok this morning on another uh, vegan individual's uh, page. Actually, I believe she owns a sanctuary. But she was discussing with another person who's had a so-called humane Mall's farm, and he was telling her, oh, grow up, and, um, you know, this is, the the cows are good for the soil, and, I mean, I I don't know a lot, I'm learning a lot, but, and I definitely want to get this book, but I happen to know that the uh, hoof hoof cliff ruminants, in other words, the horses and all the wild animals, the wild mustangs, are the ones that develop the land and the cattle taking away from it, and people don't realize that. And I also liked your comment when you said to uh, when people do buy humane, you, you know, my hairdresser did recently say, Well, I buy humane meat, and I kind of snapped at her not a lot, but a little. Um, but I realized I was wrong. I have to praise, I love that. So thank you very much. This book is well-needed. I'm going to read it immediately because I love to have information to help me be a strong activist. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And Lindsay raises a really good
1: question, Robert Grillo. There is this whole greenwashing aspect um, of, well, the cows are helping the environment. The cows are an environmental disaster. And indeed, um, I want to show something that is extremely disturbing, and that is... Um a report in distilled uh, the meat and fossil fuel producers watered down the latest IPCC report. That's Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change report. Scientist authors recommended more plant-based diets and phasing out of fossil fuels. Those recommendations didn't make it into the final report. Here's another. The meat industry blocked the IPCC's attempt to recommend a plant-based diet. Elite draft revealed how the meat industry is obstructing efforts to curb Climate change. Um, a last graph here. This is the greenhouse gas emissions across the supply chain list in terms of food. Beef, if you can scrutinize, it's, it's hard to read, but I took this right off where <laughs> the official site. Beef is the highest. It has the highest carbon footprint. Lamb and mutton is next. Cheese is after that. Dairy beef is after that. So, there's no argument there, and yet it's suppressed from the American people, and, and there's a lie that, oh, cows are good for the environment.
3: Well, you know, and the IPCC is on a conservative's, they've allowed themselves to be corrupted by by special interests from the meat industry, so that says a lot right there. Um, we should really take pause and, and, you know, consider the source, and is the source even legitimate anymore, because they're they're basically trying to find a, a compromise between economic growth and reporting on climate change. And in doing so, they're not telling the public the whole truth. But i also like to mention something about um, The Humane hopes, just as a book. And, uh, you know, we're hearing not just, you know, from our not from the authors, but from the industry people themselves, they're telling us that they can't avoid the conditions that we have uh, exposed. So we, without naming any names, we have looked at some of the highest welfare producers in the country and um, looked at the conditions of some of the animals and have gone to producers that we know, and they tell us they could could never guarantee that they could avoid these conditions. So we're hearing it from the, the animal producers themselves. What more do we need? to be convinced that um, humane washing is, is just a facade. And that when it really comes down to it, to expect uh, low paid migrant workers who are worked like machines to treat animals kindly in this uh, frenetic process of, of you know handling animals and getting them shipped to slaughter, to think that that's ever going to, to look like uh, something remote humane is just absurd.
1: Well, yes. And you know, uh, people lie to themselves. They want to believe this because then they don't have to change. So they want to grab onto anything that says, oh, it's sustainable, it's happy, it's okay, it's free range because then it allows them to continue their behavior. So that's another aspect of it. Uh, we've got two more callers. So we're going to race through these. These are incredible. Any in Sherman Oaks, your question or thought? Hello. Thank you for
5: having me, uh, uh, Jane. You are you guys are the most incredible. So proud uh, of, of this book. Um, it's it's incredible that I um, see more and more people, you know, try and uh, buy the humane wash. But the thing is, there is a, a big, you know, confusion that people don't realize. And we, as people that protest, like we know that there are companies that are selling a chicken humanely grown so much better, like 10 times better. We protest with this with the slaughter in L.A. So we know this. So we get overwhelmed that people are harming their health. They're harming other humans to be oppressed and work in these industries. Animals are the biggest victims and our environment. So I love, I love that you've written this book to give us a mapping to try and take a deep breath and try to focus on how to approach, because at times it gets really hard to speak about
1: all the overwhelming
5: destructions that are happening.
1: I agree. Annie, I want to thank you for calling in, Annie. Um, And I happen to know you. You're an amazing activist. Way to go. We're going to go to the next caller here, which is Steve in Dallas. And then we've got another caller after that.
6: Steve? Hey. Yeah, Jane, I love that graph you showed earlier of the greenhouse gas emissions impact of different foods. That data came from Joseph Poor's study out of Oxford. He does an incredible lecture on YouTube, Joseph Poor P O O R E. He looked at 38,000 farms and this is a range of of emissions and other environmental impacts of foods, including beef. However, the most productive method of beef he could find was still many times worse than just average plant-based proteins, So that's, uh, you know, people don't realize that. You hear from companies, oh, we'll just buy from us. We're taking care of it. And you're right, Jane. It's all about doubt. If you put a little bit of doubt in people's heads, they won't take action. And industries know this well. It's a total scam. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad it's being talked about. Thanks.
1: Here, look at this. Um, somebody just uh, commented, in my 15 years working as a slaughterhouse inspector, I never once witnessed anything remotely humane. Thank you uh, so much for calling in, Steve. Michael in Los
6: Angeles, your question or thought? How's it going, everybody? Great talent today, a great discussion. I just wanted to add re- really quickly, Hope, the reason uh, that I found out about you is I heard you on a panel a couple years ago with climate healers. And funny enough, the caller before last, Annie, was on the panel with you with uh, Jeeva. I don't know if you remember. It was by Thanks for Living back in 2020. Anyway, that led me to buy your book, The Ultimate Betrayal, which was really a great book. And I just wanted to let you know that's, uh, that's how I discovered you. And I, get, I can't wait to, see your, you to hear your new book, you know, when it comes out on Kindle. That's how I, you know, read everything nowadays. But anyway, my question is, You know, we all have uh, dogs and cats that we love, but why is there such a big disconnect between the animals that we eat on our plate and the ones we love and sleep with in our homes? I just wanted to ask both of you, Robert, and uh, Hope, that question. Thank you.
4: Wow,
1: excellent question. You know, most Americans consider themselves animal lovers, and yet,
2: Hope? Yeah, I I think that... A part of this, possibly a big part of this, is language, and we tackle this in the book. Actually, language is such a, a, an important and critical component of animal issues. And you know, we categorize animals: right, wild animals, pets, food animals, and language helps to shape this. This species as language, right, to put animals in these different camps for different uses. And then there's a hierarchy that happens, who we protect, who we exploit. Uh, language really weaves this narrative. And that's part of the humane hoax, this comforting of shoppers to, you know, oh, it's it's okay. Uh, these animals are humane, right? And there's, there's a new one out, uh, a new label that I'm seeing now, responsibly raised, right? We're seeing this now, this responsibly raised. And this one just, I mean, it just cracks me up. What? What does that mean, responsibly raised? I mean, it could be, does, do they mean ethical? Do they mean environmental? I mean, it's it's sufficiently vague that it could really mean anything, but people will put their own meaning onto it, right? The, whatever they want to believe. Uh, but the reality for the animals is essentially unchanged with these labels. We still see the separation of families, the painful body mutilations, the slaughter at a very young age, These labels are unregulated, Uh, they mean very little or nothing at all, and it's so important that we educate about that. But uh, there's a wonderful chapter in the book by Devanatha Nair, Uh, her her, uh, chapter is called Corrupting the Language of Animal Welfare, and here's a, a quote I have it pulled up here that I want to share. Uh, it is also the crafty use of language and the stories that we tell ourselves that allow us to fawn over an animal at the zoo and still be able to consume another animal a few moments later for lunch without raising too many existential qualms. So language is a big part of it.
1: Yeah, okay, we're going to take one more caller and then we're going to go to break emic In Los Angeles, your question or thought for our fantastic panel discussing The Humane Hoax.
4: Hi, everybody. Thank
6: you so much for the book and the conversation. The truth and words make a difference. And I used to believe in The Humane Lies, but some kind vegans and activists, they were so kind that they kindly showed me the the truth, and I did not resist, even though I was an adult when I was introduced to the truth about uh, animal agriculture. So, adults are so wrongly educated and programmed, and it takes a long time to get fancy the facts. Do you find it easier to communicate with kids? And also, is your book on Audible? Thank you very much.
1: Oh, excellent question. That's the first thing I asked today when I saw Hope is when are you going to put it on Audible? Because frankly, that's how I consume books today. I walk my dogs and I listen to Audible. Get it on there, Hope. Okay. It, what's your answer
2: to that? Well, right now, uh, it is available as an ebook through the publisher, Lantern Publishing and Media. You can get an ebook there it will be on kindle very soon i'm hoping like this week it's in the process of i don't know what they have to do but they're trying to get it on to kindle it will be there soon uh, and we will do an audiobook that will come out in the fall i'm going to be reading it so i will do an audiobook so all of that is happening and you can get the ebook right now on lantern and as far as kids i i'm i i don't know what to say about that i, I um i don't really uh, do activism with children but maybe uh, robert or jane you might have something to say well about. we actually have to take a short break here on
1: voice america radio but we're live on unchained tv this free streaming network we're going to be back in a second so stay right there
3: voice america at facebook.com forward slash voice america for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts
0: get unchained tune in every wednesday for unchained tv on the voice america variety channel featuring nationally recognized best-selling author tv journalist and the founder of the unchained tv free streaming network jane velez mitchell This program takes you inside a trending lifestyle that's the next wave of human evolution. It all starts on your plate. If you want to revolutionize your life, get happier, more energized, then discover the secret. Tune in to Unchained TV, Wednesdays at 12 p.m. Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel.
2: Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The
4: Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station.
0: Voiceamerica.com. are listening to Unchained TV. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email in to jane at unchainedtv.com. Now back to the show. Welcome back. I am pouring
1: through this book myself, The Humane Hoax, edited by Hope O'Hara joining us today and the amazing Robert Grillo of Free From Harm has written one of the chapters and this is essentially a handbook to wake you up to all the lies industry is telling you to try to keep the corporate profits coming in even as animal agriculture is a leading and some are arguing it's a very big subject so it really depends on how you frame it the leading cause of climate change. But nobody disputes that it's a leading cause. Nonetheless, uh, the way everybody's focused on, oh, you've got to drive an electric car. Well, not everybody can afford to go out and buy a Tesla. But people can afford to eat a healthy, low-carbon footprint, plant-based diet on a daily basis three times a day, and at the same time radically improve their health, reduce their cholesterol, reduce their chance of getting heart disease, America's leading killer, and these um, animals suffering. So for climate, for compassion, for health, it's the logical way to go for all of us, because it doesn't matter how much money these companies are making, if. We live in a world where you're going to pass out when you walk outside of your house it's so hot. And I read an article last summer that delivery workers were collapsing on the street in some parts of the United States because it was so hot and they were carrying things in. Is that the kind of world we want to live in? We can make one change. One simple change. And if we remove this false assumption that we need to kill and eat animals to survive, we could radically combat climate change. We could reforest so many of the parts of the world, 40% of arable land that is used for animal agriculture. Those trees could begin to absorb carbon. We could start lowering the earth's temperature. The temperature in the atmosphere, return it to where it was 200 years ago. We could get healthier. We could have um, wildlife which we're currently decimating. We're on track to destroy all wildlife vertebrates essentially uh, within a decade. I mean, we could reverse so many of our problems and world hunger. There are children dying right now, of starvation and nutrition around the world While the Western world primarily, but we're exporting our bad habits to the rest of the world, are eating the most inefficient food. You could say it takes 5, 10, 15, 25, depending on the type of meat. It takes so much more food to create one pound of beef than it does to just feed that food directly to people who desperately need it. But scarcity creates profit. In the words of Dr. Silas Rao, we're all being factory farmed because when you kill animals, you are hurting yourself. It might come back in the form of a tornado or a flood or a fire or heart disease. But it is going to boomerang and we're trying to wake the world up. But these lies stand in the way. So. Hope Bohannik has gotten some of the top leaders in the animal rights vegan movement to write these chapters. And, you know, the other thing, Hope, I know you have Carol J. Adams, who was an eco-feminist, very well-known. You know, she's writing. I also am perplexed how feminists, for example, who are um, (sighs) eating animals, the ultimate patriarchy, none of these animals are making love on these factory farms. They are all forcibly impregnated. What is that? That is called rape. Let's be real. The industry term, you can Google this, is rape rack, where these animals are inseminated. I'm perplexed that feminists do not make the connection. We, you know, we have environmentalists, so-called environmentalists in denial, but we also have feminists in denial.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I was... Really honored to have Carol contribute a chapter. There's another chapter too by John Sanvan Matsu, uh, who's a professor in philosophy, where he he talks about the femivore. That's what the New York Times has dubbed these women that are leaving the city, leaving corporate jobs, and buying farms and actually raising, breeding, and killing animals uh, in some kind of you know humane way. For empowerment, uh, that's a fascinating chapter. Uh, but Carol's chapter as well is really amazing. She is, of course, a longtime vegan feminist writer, activist, and her chapter is called "One Bad Day," and it's it's very it's really short, but it's super powerful. And we've all heard this right from uh, when we're talking about a, a, a humane operation or a small scale, whatever. And the farmer will say or someone will say, well, that animal only had one bad day, referring to the day that they are killed. Right. Uh, But, you know, Carol gets really, really into this and how, you know, there's lots of bad days that these these animals endure. Uh, It was a bad day when they're castrated, when they're deep when they have their babies dragged away from them, when a dear friend disappears forever on and on. So, you know, I, I love at the end of her piece, too, she calls out the idea of one bad day, that a bad day is like stubbing your toe or spilling coffee in the car. You know, it's not the frightening, brutal end of your life. I mean, that's way more than a bad day, right? Uh, so it's, it's a really fascinating uh, chapter, and I, I think everyone should uh, – I mean, that – some of these chapters, it's really wonderful because they very much stand alone. You know, you don't have to read the book straight through. You can just kind of pick and choose these interesting chapters and, and just read the one chapter that stands on its own. And this is one of those that's really emotional uh, and uh, and really beautiful. And
1: that is such a lie. I mean one bad day. Oh my God. Being born in a factory farm is a horrible experience. Then being driven in um, an open air truck, sometimes in extreme heat, sometimes in extreme cold to the slaughterhouse is a horrible day. Then being slaughtered. Uh, There was just an undercover investigation about uh, how gas chambers for pigs are unbelievably cruel you can't even look at the footage you look at five seconds of it i have it here i could play it for you i could ruin your day i'm not going to do that take my word for it it's a really really horrific and when those doors close the the worst part is you see those beautiful baby pigs go in there and the trucks come out empty and oh my god Uh, You know, what's really interesting, I've gone to many uh, vigils, which are where you bear witness to these animals going in to die. Give them a little water if you can. Give them a moment of love. And people don't want to go. I've tried to bring many people who are meat eaters, and they say, well, I think I'll get sick. But yet, oh, but yet you can eat that pastrami sandwich, or you can eat that um, bacon and eggs, and yet you can't go and witness what you are essentially underwriting that is to me moral cowardice and um that's what we're engaging in we're engaging in willful denial you know see no evil hear no evil I don't want to know so we're in a bit of a conundrum robert grillo where people say oh look i eat humane meat don't leave me out of it it's fine but I don't want to see any evidence to the contrary, okay? I don't, want you, you, I don't want you to tell me that maybe I'm wrong, okay? And then don't show me any evidence. I will not go see it. But nonetheless, I'm going to continue my behavior.
3: That's right. I mean, the way to change the paradigm, I think, is to, you know, let's use this great material from this book. And let's get it into the dialogue about our food system by not just talking to our neighbors and friends and people that eat, claim they you know they, they make humane choices and all that, but really trying to get it, get the message to the power holders, the people that really make decisions about our food system. Um, we've. Talked investors, billionaires, out of investing in the slaughterhouse industry, and instead investing in something more humane and sustainable, something uh, plant-based. They've got a lot of money, and it's just a matter of where they're going to put that money. And we need to be there to intercept the dialogue and say, "Hey, don't don't invest in the animal industries. Don't buy the humane myth." We need to get those messages into the minds of these big players, if we really want to see the kind of transformative change uh, in our food system.
1: I mean, sometimes I just wonder about the intelligence of the so-called best and the brightest, which, by the way, was a sarcastic title. Uh, The whole point of the book is that the best and the brightest brought us the Vietnam War, the quagmire there. And so Uh, that was the whole point of the book, actually. Like, if you listen to the best and the brightest, uh, watch out. And that's the situation we're in. I was listening, and, yes, everybody's saying get that audio book out because that's how a lot of people are, I think even you could argue most people are (laughs) just listening to books now. Um, But I was listening to this book about history, and it said, the uh, professor said, you know, Easter Island is an isolated island, and there was a very thriving community there, you know, uh, thousands of years ago or a couple of thousand years ago. But it's very isolated, and they were chopping down the trees. And he said, he said, they had to know on some level when they chopped down the last tree, they would no longer be able to build boats, and they were basically signing their own death warrant. And the professor said, nevertheless, they chopped down that last tree. And they did sign their own death warrant and the civilization collapsed. And I was listening to that. And I was like, that is exactly what's happening today. We are not doing this, Hope, because we get a commission for every vegan uh, meal that's consumed. We have no profit motive ourselves. We're uh, basically just saying... People, the world is on a trajectory of ecological collapse. This is in your self-interest to switch to a plant-based diet. And it, it 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 kind of blows my mind that people are engaged in such self-destructive behavior. Ultimately, eating meat is self-destructive, just like shooting up heroin or Drinking alcoholically or doing drugs of any sort. Hope.
2: Yeah, I would agree absolutely. And and on the note of that, we we're, we're not getting paid for every vegan meal. Uh, all the proceeds for my book is going to go to my nonprofit, Compassionate Living. So yeah, we're you know, we're hoping as activists to be put out of business, right? We <laughs> yes! We don't want to do this work. Uh, we would rather be doing something else. But, of course, this is uh, so important. It's dire and uh, and absolutely critical, as you were saying. I think that this issue is so important to focus on and to educate on because it's really, I think, our 21st century challenge, right, that there's this seemingly uh, uh, cruelty-free or kind way To uh, to buy meat, dairy, and eggs, right? It didn't used to be that way. Back in the '90s, early 2000s, if you didn't want to engage in animal cruelty, you went vegan. That was the only choice. But that now the narrative has changed, right? And now there's supposedly this kind way to commodify animals. So it's very, very important to uh, to really. To, to focus on this because, you know, this industry, they're, they are trying desperately to hold on to their cruel, unsustainable, outdated, you know, way of doing things by, uh, you know, sh- really um, telling soothing stories of improved conditions. But as the book reveals, and as we know, there is no humane way to commodify animals. There never can be. And there's an interesting point about getting the animals out on the pasture, right? There's this kind of romanticized notion of if we can just get the animals out on the pasture, out of the confinement buildings, then everything will be all right, environmentally and and ethically. But that's really not the case. These are not wild animals. These are domesticated animals. There's numerous studies that underscore the, the myriad of problems Of free-ranging animals putting animals out to pasture on the pasture uh, both environmentally and ethically and environmentally you know what what is it that has pretty much destroyed the land across this country across the world grazing animals clearing deforesting areas clearing areas to graze animals and what are they proposing as the solution Grazing more animals, getting them out of the confinement barns, putting them out to pasture for regenerative grazing and for carbon neutral beef. And it's it's so frustrating and makes no sense. Right. Uh, And there's there's there was these fantastic studies. There's a a meta analysis, actually, that that is uh, revealed in the first chapter of the book that shows uh, it's it looked at organic and free range pork operations and it found that pigs, it was a 20 year study, and it found that pigs in free range and uh, you know, pasture raised situations, they were exposed to extreme temperatures, heat stress, not being able to get adequate shade, the lighter colored skin, the little pink pigs were getting sunburns and blisters. And then in the extreme cold, they were getting frostbite, piglets dying of hypothermia and pneumonia. They're more vulnerable to predators. Uh, there's there, there, there's tr- uh, uh, issues with monitoring them to treat sick animals. So many issues. And it's in the first cha- chapter of the book, Ingrid Taylor's chapter. Uh, she's a writer for Sentient Media And she does a really an amazing job um, exposing the pork industry. She actually had a lived experience growing up on a small scale pig farm. So when people accuse us of, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. You've never been on a farm. Well, there are those voices, these vegan voices that have, you know, had that experience. She grew up on a small scale pig farm that was her family's farm, and she can tell, uh, tell you know, she can tell us the stories of these pigs and what they experienced so you know it's um, yeah it's a critical critical issue and I think that that the humane hoax really is now are going forward where we have to shift our our language our uh, our focus so that we don't let people get complacent with these labels
1: Well, somebody said, first of all, you can do an Audible on Spotify. So something you should check out, uh, you may want to check out. And, you know, the other thing is somebody said this should be in every school and every library. I think this book should be sent to every member of the media because they perpetrate the main hoax. I mean, even during the um, height of COVID, when slaughterhouses were hotbeds of um, the the COVID virus and slaughterhouse workers were dying at a higher rate, the networks never used the word slaughterhouse. They said food processing facilities. They're afraid of even using the word slaughterhouse. And the media is a big part of the problem. I know this, I was in mainstream media uh, for 38 years. And uh, you don't have to have somebody knock on your door and say, hey, don't talk about this. You just look at the commercials and the message is very loud and clear. You know, fast food, pharmaceuticals, that's what keeps the lights on. So they do not talk about this. And that's a big part of the problem. Then you have the government that is totally co-opted by the meat and dairy industry. The U.S. Department of Agriculture is run by a dairy industry trade group leader. And we're barreling toward the... uh, Farm bill being renewed in October. And I know there are organizations
2: uh, that are in there trying to convince uh, these regenerative members. Grazing, regenerative grazing is all over that. Uh, <sighs> so much money being allocated possibly to regenerative grazing. It's very scary. It's it's terrifying. But you know, I always take a cue from Dr. Silas
1: Rao. He says, Mother Nature is more powerful than all of us put together. At a certain point, Robert, I know you're in Chicago. You experienced the bitter cold. We have the crazy weather over here with the massive floods and then the drought here in California. Um, Wherever you are, we are seeing with our own eyes the impact of climate change. Is there going to come a point where, despite all of this denial, we hit bottom um, on animal agriculture and meat?
3: Well, sure. Yeah. And, you know, I, to what extent are we going to, you know, self-destruct before we reach that point? And that's why I think the lesson with the farm bill, since you've mentioned that a few times, is that when we play by the system's rules all the time, we lose because those rules are are set up to for us to fail because we're on the outside. And we if we... If we wanna change that system and rebuild it because it's too corrupted by special interests, then it has to be a grassroots, people-led movement that uh, creates that and demands the change from the top. So the system as it stands doesn't allow us in. Maybe we'll get a three minute -minute comment in and they'll say thank you very much and they're not required to respond, right? To our comments. the system is set up to give us a very limited voice, the people that really have the most at stake from uh, the impacts of, of animal agriculture, the people that are really on the front lines of the damage, the deaths that, will, that are happening because of climate change, um, and they have the least voice. So in order for that to change, um, we, we kind of have to dismantle the current system and create something new. We need new leadership. We have to demand new leadership. So that's kind of part of what, you know, the activism that I'm involved in.
1: Well, I mean, here's, here's something I saw the other day. The USDA announces more than $43 million investment in meat and poultry processing research, expansion, and innovation. So they're going in the wrong direction. And, you know, are we going to be the next Easter Island? That's my question. Do we want to be the next Easter Island? It, it has to be a grassroots movement. We have to rise up. And the way we do that is to reach the 8 billion people out there. And this is why I started Unchained TV, because a lot of times we're in a vegan echo chamber talking to each other. Get this book, The Humane Hoax. It is fantastic. I'm going to read it to get all the arguments I need so I can speak truth to power. And uh, I just want to thank uh, Hope for joining us and Robert for joining us and for all the incredible work you do. Absolutely amazing. Carry on. See you next time here on Unchained TV.
2: Thank you, Jane.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Unchained TV. We hope you'll join Jane Velez Mitchell for the next edition of her program next Monday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Meanwhile, have a peaceful week.